Ever since Frances Mays got an impulse to buy a house in Tuscany and wrote about her experience in the bestseller Under the Tuscan Sun, she's been introducing the world to the delights of living in Italy. Lately, she's been wandering off the beaten path to discover the charms of dozens of small towns and cities all across Italy. In her latest book, See You in the Piazza, she takes us along as she, her husband, and her grandson explore the kinds of places Italians treasure, free from the crush of mass tourism. Francis joins us now to explore hidden Italy from the peaks of the Dolomites to the sun-drenched tip of Sicily. Francis, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's wonderful to talk to you. Yeah, now you've spent uh, 30 years loving Tuscany, kind of splitting your time between uh, the United States and Tuscany. You wrote a number of books on Tuscany, and now you're talking about Italy in general. How would you relate Tuscany to the rest of Italy? Well, it's still the heart to me. I would always want to live there and go back there, but this book was such an adventure because I was on the road for 170 days last year, staying in all these really new-to-me places, and it kind of put the discovery back into travel for me. Not that, you know, it had ever gone away in Tuscany, but just finding these little tiny beach towns way in the south of Sicily Mm -hmm. and waterfalls way up north near the German border, it just opened my eyes to how endless Italy is and how if you had like 10 lifetimes, you could never really see all of it. Boy, I found that myself. And, uh, you know, you've had the luxury of, you know, living near Cortona with your whole Under the Tuscan Sun experience. And that's a luxury to be actually putting down roots and getting to know the community. And then from a traveler's point of view, most of us go to Italy with just a couple of weeks and you got to see the biggies. But you had 170 days, and I'm sure you've seen Florence and Venice and, and Rome to your satisfaction. And now you had a chance to go to places that that guidebooks don't even cover. Tell us a little bit about how you researched the book. Did you set out with uh, five or six months, uh, and your goal was just to cover Italy from top to bottom? Did you have a list of places you wanted to see? How did that unfold? I had a lot of places in the back of my mind, not only the places that are kind of unknown to almost anyone, but also to try to go to some of the places that get skipped. Mm -hmm. When you go travel to... Siena, Assisi, Florence, Rome, etc. Those are so great for a first-time trip. But after that, there's just layer and layer and layer of other stuff to see. So I wanted to see places like Geneva. Everyone knows of it, but who goes there? I wanted to spend a lot of time in Parma, which often gets skipped. And places like Catania, which have a kind of bad rep, but Hmm. once you get there, you really know how amazing they are. So I had this list that I wanted, but then I just set myself into a place that was central and started exploring out from there without necessarily even knowing where I was going to stop. And in that way, I discovered a little tiny place in Puglia where there's a medieval bread oven and They still make the bread there in the old ways, and people bring in their own bread with the cross on it and just trying to make lots of touches with the, you know, old country civilization and discover some of the ways that people still live that have gotten kind of run over in contemporary life. In Italy, it's like night and day, touristic places and places that almost never seen a tourist. And uh, I would think the prices are about double where all the tourists go. And the folk culture and the traditions actually 
are more vivid in places the tourists don't go. When you talked about the, the place in Puglia, which had that traditional oven, talk about a little bit of how traditions survive that a tourist that just goes to the, the big famous places might be completely oblivious to. The deeper you go into Italian life, the more you realize that it's bottomless and that you go to a place like Puglia, which has its famous spots, you know, but you get into the whole civilization of the place, the whole history, and that is what leads you, like reading a little bit about Frederick II led me to explore a lot of his castles and to know how responsible he was for just the way modern Puglia is shaped. And even behind that, the whole sheep culture in Puglia and how these migration paths made the country develop the way it was. So the deeper you go, you know, the more you find out that everything you step on has a past and that it's available for you. Now, where exactly is Puglia and what's the big city in that region? Puglia is way south. It's down in the heel. And Brindisi is the place you can fly into. Mm-hmm. And Puglia has been kind of put on the map recently by the fact that there are now inexpensive flights from London to Brindisi. Mm-hmm. So people from there can get there in two hours. So that's mm-hmm. opened it up quite a bit. But when I first went to Puglia 25 years ago, there was no one there. Mm-hmm. But it's still it's still such a place to discover. There are these cone-shaped houses, the Truly, and they're in a little town called Alborobello, and it's very touristy now, but it's still magic. You feel like the elves are going to come out of these little houses at any minute. And they go back, way back to when farmers just built something out of the field stones, and they look like they've been there for a million years, but they have been there for a thousand Frances Mays is our guest right now on Travel with Rick Steves. The author of the bestseller Under the Tuscan Sun explores her favorite, less explored corners of Italy in See You in the Piazza, New Places to Discover in Italy. There's more on her website. That's at francismaysbooks.com. So, Frances, when you're traveling, when you're venturing away from the tourists, you really find that different dimension of Italy. You could take away all the top 10 places that 95% of the tourists spend 90% of their time in, and you could still have a great country to visit. You mentioned Parma, Catania, Genova. These are places that very few people go to, even though they're great destinations in themselves. Talk about Catania a little bit. I mean, because a lot of people think the charm is in the villages, but Catania is a big, rollicking city in Sicily. And you described vividly the market in Catania. I just uh, love you. I think you wrote, its fish market makes Venice's Rialto market look like Whole Foods. It does. I have never experienced a market like that. The way people were shouting to sell their goods, you felt like you'd step back into the Middle Ages. Mm. And it's a handsome town. I had kind of fear of Catania. You know, it's a raucous seaport and had kind of a bad rep, but it's so beautiful in the interior and so civilized. The first night we were there, people were walking by our table, outside table, going to the opera. Mm-hmm. And they all looked like they stepped out of daguerreotypes. Mm. They were in their jewels and their, you know, the men had the big mustaches. And it was just one of those moments when the curtain of time seems to part. Daguerreotypes like a 100-year-old black and white photograph? Yes, wow, yes. Wow, that is a great image. But everyone was pouring into the opera house. So 
Catania is very sophisticated and civilized, and yeah. you just have to get beyond those stereotypes that some towns have, like Torino. Everyone thinks, oh, Fiat, you know, Alfa Romeo, cars, cars, manufacturing. Torino is a regal town. It's an amazing culinary destination, and also the gateway to all of Piemonte with all the wines. Mm-hmm. But I could live in Torino. That was another aspect of all these travels was I kept finding places I would like to live. I felt a little unfaithful to Cortona. (laughs) You were were two-timing on Cortona. (laughs) I was. (laughs) Well, Torino is one of those industrial cities in the north, and I think most people would go to Milano because it's got the Leonardo da Vinci art and and the great cathedral, and Torino gets overlooked. But I think you make a very good case in your book that Genova and Torino, there you feel the pulse of uh, Italian urban culture uh, maybe even more vividly than in the places that are so packed with the tourists. Well, you do. You mentioned uh, eating in Torino. Describe a good meal that you had in, in Torino. Oh, there's so many, it's hard to choose. But right outside town, we drove out in a taxi. It was about a 20-minute ride to this uh, restaurant called Combal Zero. And it was regal and very contemporary, very beautiful. And the chef was having fun. He did a lot of playful things. He was playing tricks on us all the time. And at the end of the meal, these little bubbles were served that you put in your mouth, and they they were actually laughing gas. So he was playing tricks the whole time, but the food was enormously sophisticated. And my grandson was so impressed that they had a water menu, waters from all over the world with all the contents. I I love the basic trattorias, the mom and pop, the recipes Mm -hmm. of Nona. But there's such a big movement in Italy now toward experimenting and taking the traditional ingredients and doing something fresh with them. So I love to combine those two ways of eating and traveling to try a lot of the, you know, the starred restaurants, the lauded restaurants, the ones that the chefs usually have gone away and trained. Mm-hmm. And then they've come home because they want to be with their family. Mm. And they never intended to really leave their home, but they've brought back new thinking and new information. And they're putting all this to play and to work in their restaurants. It's funny you say the word playful because I have also found in Italy, more than other countries, I think, chefs are kind of playful. And they're like enthusiastic, creative uh, young chefs, uh, even if they've been at it for a long time, and and it it feels to me they want to come out and see how you reacted to their playful creation. And it just brings a a sprightliness to the meal. They do. It's fun. Like Bras in Lecce, way down in Puglia, they served the roasted quail on a a bed of straw, so he looked like he was in his nest. Mm. Just funny things like that. They're really having a good time. But It's not just theater. It's just kind of an attitude, I think, that they're trying to play out, not only in the food, but in the presentation. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Frances Mays, and her new book is See You in the Piazza. It's a look at undiscovered Italy. Frances, it was so refreshing to pick up a book that hardly mentions the places that most of us go to Italy for and to remind us that Italophiles can spend a lifetime exploring Italy. You've been there for 30 years, and, and your enthusiasm is, is the same now. You write as the, the very first time. How is it that uh, each time you return to Italy, you feel the same excitement that you felt the first time? I think it's because everything always seems different. You go 20 miles down the road, and there 
serving a different kind of pasta or mm. the color of the stone is different. All the towns have their own particular art. And there's just such a kind of integrity to each place. And the root of that, of course, would be that they used to not be able to travel in the papal states or, you know, there was no way to travel. And so all these places developed their own dialects, and they're strong still. In our town, there are two very distinct dialects, and hmm. I found particularly in Puglia, there are even roots of Greek words still in some of the dialects. So you're saying in your, in your hometown of Cortona, you'd have people on different sides of the square or whatever with their own dialects? Yes. I found that in the Cinque Terre also. Each town in the Cinque Terre, which are little tiny villages uh, a half-hour walk apart, you've got different words. And and, uh, I guess it is a matter of local pride. It's a matter of in the old days you weren't able to travel so easily. And now when you have modern infrastructure, you can pull it all together. But Italy still has that, I love that notion of the Campanile, what is it called, Campanilismo? Uh, Yes, within the sound of the bell. Isn't that a great concept? What, What does Campanilismo mean to you? It means the piazza. It means the church in your town. You want to be within the sound of that bell. It Mm. it just means home to you. And in our town, Cortona, there are four or five different bells that you can hear right in the piazza. And everyone knows what bell is from what church. Mm. One of them's called the nanny goat bell. (laughs) One of them sounds like you're hitting a dishpan with a stick. (laughs) People love their own bell. It's kind of an interesting thing. And it's a big issue with the new priest, if he's going to ring the bell through the night or give everybody (laughs) a break from midnight to 6 (laughs) a.m. Yes. But it's interesting always to me that that specialness that each town has, each region has, it comes out of that, the history of isolation. But one thing I discovered in going north to south to write this book is that every region is fantastic. I always thought, well, who wants to go to Molise? Oh, it was so beautiful. It's so rugged. and The people are just friendly and very robust cuisine, beautiful little beaches. Where is that exactly, Molise? Molise is way south above Puglia. It's right oh, okay. next to Abruzzo. Oh, okay. See, I don't, I'm a typical American. I don't know anything much south of uh, Naples. You've got to go. I know it. Well, you, in your book you say there's such a vast cultural diversity packed into a land the size of Arizona. Yes, it's just astonishing. You mentioned that travel is a journey into one's own ignorance. What did you mean by that? Absolutely. One of the joys of writing this book was that I just read everything about each region and had to realize how little I knew. The successive waves of conquerors of Catania and how just the way the mountains plunge down into the sea in Catania Mm. influences the way people are. So you get into the geography, you get into the history. And then who the person is you're meeting makes a lot more sense to you. Yeah, It's that revelation that comes from travel that is really the reason I travel. People are always asking me, you know, how do you save money? What's a budget trick? And, you know, it's going to cost you to eat well. It's going to cost you to see the great sights. And the more understanding you bring with you, the more context, the more ability you have to appreciate what you're consuming or what you're seeing or what you're enjoying, the more value it is. So my good budget tip is to do exactly what you're talking about. Know what you're looking at, and it becomes a much more rewarding experience. Yes, the other great budget tip for Italy is the whole agriturismo idea. Those are farm stays, and 
the website's just agroturismo.it. Each region is packed. I mean, forget Airbnb. Right. It's just fabulous to go stay on farms with working families. This is a farmhouse, kind of you could call it a farmhouse B&B, and to get that prestigious agriturismo title, I understand it has to be a working farm. They have to actually, it's not just a, a nice house in the countryside that used to be a farm. They have to have stuff going on where they make money with their agriculture or their animals, and it's a real yes. working farm. You know, in our country, the family farms sort of just couldn't make it, but in Italy, they supplement their income by renting out rooms, and the family farms can survive and talk about a way to connect with the people and to really connect with the culture, and, and you get to pet a goat, or you get to sit down at the table and have that zero-kilometer meal where everything is right off the farm. Yes, and sometimes they will have cooking classes, they make special things for your breakfast, like mm. a wonderful frittata, and mm. you get to go out and get the eggs, and mm. you I get to know the family. And they can give you great tips about where to eat in town and things that you might not know to do that they know about. Do you have a couple of favorites, Francis, as far as agriturismo go? I've stayed in several. I've stayed in the countryside in Tuscany at very small farms in the Marema, mm-hmm. and that is such a wonderful area. I'm way south in Puglia, in Sicily. I've stayed in a lot mm. of them. Some of my favorite meals have been at the family table, and you've got generations of, of the mothers and fathers all around you on these portraits, and you're, you see the, the family wine being poured by Grandma, and it's been in the family for generations, and there's something that just makes it a beautiful experience. It does. They're putting up the blackberry jam, and they give you a jar when you leave. I it's love it. It's just an intimate experience. Anywhere in Italy, you know, you don't need to bog down on a specific recommendation. Anywhere you're going in Italy, you can get online and find the agriturismos in that area, and then you can uh, have that more intimate countryside experience. You know, Francis, I've always uh, wondered, you're the expert on Tuscany. You love Cortona. You've written books on Tuscany. Uh, but Tuscany has gotten quite popular. And Is the Marche a, a sort of a the next Tuscany, or what would you recommend to people that would like, quote, the untouristy Tuscany? So much of Tuscany is untouristy, and I hear all the time, oh, Tuscany's overrun. It's not. Mm. I mean, in mid-July, in places that tourists flock to, it's going to be kind of right. crowded. But here's all the rest of the year. Like, if I were in Cortona right now, I doubt if there'd be any tourists uh-huh. there. So I'm a big one for traveling off-season if you can. But yeah. even in Tuscany, like, in the wine country, Montepulciano, Montalcino, Pienza, Cortona, those are popular in the summer, mm-hmm. but they're not overrun. Uh, Florence can be overrun. Venice can be overrun. But I think it's very exaggerated that these small hill towns are... Or Vieto can be overrun. <laughs> There's a few places that are tourist traps, but you're right. If you just venture out a little bit, you can do fine. Frances Mays has written seven books about Tuscany, starting with the bestseller Under the Tuscan Sun. In her latest book, See You in the Piazza, New Places to Discover in Italy, Frances explores the hidden Italy as she visits dozens of scenic small towns scattered all across the country. We have links to her books with this week's show at ricksteves.com radio. And Gloria has called in from Daytona Beach in Florida. Gloria, thanks for your call. Hi. Hi, Francis. Thank you so much for all your hard work and helping us through these years um, educate our seven daughters of their heritage, which came through Sicily. And, you know, the quickest path to memory is taste and smell. So we're all about food and your cookbooks. (laughs) 
So the question I had for you was, where would you recommend that two of our daughters, 33 and 40, are planning to go on a trip to visit the um, homeland and stay in a small town and immerse themselves in the culture, just the way you prescribed to get to know the real Italy? We just came back from Catania, my husband and I. So I was wondering, what would you suggest? Maybe Puglia, or would you suggest Tuscany? What time of year are they going? Well, they're teachers, so it would have to be summer. For young women in summer, I think the little beach town of Marzamemi in the south of Sicily would just be wonderful. It's a beautiful, small piazza lined with gorgeous cafes. It's right Mm. on the water, right on a nature preserve. And it's also very convenient for exploring Syracusa and the Baroque towns of Noto Modica and Mm -hmm. Chicli. And it's just a great base, but they would be there for this wonderful nightlife in the piazza and I think that would Mm. absolutely Yeah, we really enjoyed Ortigia. Gloria, let me uh, bust in here because Ortigia is amazing, and it's a little confusing because everybody thinks of Syracuse, but the historic little island birthplace center, old center of Syracuse is Ortigia, Mm -hmm. and I found that to be one of the greatest discoveries also in Sicily, so that's nice. And I would add, I I really like Francis's uh, idea about establishing a comfortable base, and from there you side trip out, and, and the beach town Francis mentioned would be uh, delightful to take advantage of the the great infrastructure that Sicily has. It seems like they got better roads than they deserve, and there's probably a reason for that. As the the north tries to subsidize the south to keep them up to speed, and with that base that Francis mentioned, you could visit so much in southern Sicily. What was the name of that town again, Francis? It's M A R Z A M E M I Marzamemi. Marzamemi. All right, Gloria. Thanks yeah. for your call. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 And Glenn is calling in from Sun Prairie in Wisconsin. Hi, Rick. Uh, Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk to Francis. I've got two quick questions, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, The first is about the Albergo Diffuso movement. I've been reading about that, where they kind of try to resuscitate an old town by putting a hotel in the middle of it, but the hotel rooms themselves might be somewhere else in the village. Is this destroying those towns, or is it preserving them? What's your opinion? I'm so glad you brought that up because it's a great movement and it's catching on. It's a way that someone can have a hotel when they don't have a hotel. Mm -hmm. And you check in at a central place and someone takes you to a room in town that is usually beautiful. The one we were in was over the sea. And then you go back to that office for breakfast if you want to. But it's a great neighborhood kind of experience, too, because you're not in a hotel. You are you have neighbors, and if you stay a few days, you can figure out what they're cooking by the scents that are coming out the door. And it's lovely, and it's reviving these towns, I think. It's not doing anything negative. So that's well, Albergo. That is really good to hear. The word is Albergo Diffuso, and uh, I've encountered yeah, that diffused. also. It's, it's wonderful. You have the main check-in area, and then they usually have a a person who will take you to your room, even if it's a few blocks away, and set you up. And then you're situated and you're, you feel more like a temporary local. What was your other question, Ben? The other question was about this year. They always have two cities of culture in Europe. And this year it's in Italy, a little place called Matera, way down south. And I'm wondering if this would be a good year to go there or maybe skip this year 
because it might be a little bit too crowded. I understand the infrastructure may not be uh, quite up to having the number of people who are expected to go there. That's a good point. I'm not sure about that, but it's a fascinating town, and even if you wait a year, I think it would be worth going back to. It's where all the cave dwellers were on the side of the hill. I was there 30 years ago. It was dismal indeed, and it's been so cleaned up, and nobody lives in the caves anymore, so they've become, you know, objects of interest. But the main part of the town, other than the caves, is also really a pleasant town. It's in Basilicata, so it's a little bit out of the way. But if you're traveling to Puglia, uh, Matera used to be part of Puglia, and it's still very close. So combining a trip to Puglia with going to Matera would be a good move. Wasn't Matera made famous with the Mel Gibson movie, The Passion? Yes, it was filmed there. And the book Christ Stopped at Eboli features Matera. You know, Glenn, I've never found that when these cities are made the cultural capital or whatever, it's an excuse to invest in the towns and and bring them to the forefront. But I've never found that they're overrun with tourists because of that. So as Francis said, you could go the year after, but you could also go the same time. And I think you would enjoy it, especially down there. There's not a lot of tour crowds. I was in Plovdiv last summer, which is the other city of culture. It's in Bulgaria. Hmm. That's an absolutely fascinating place. I love that. Hey, Glenn, thanks for your call. Thank you. And Mike's calling from Cincinnati. Mike, thanks for calling in. Hey there, Rick. Love the show. Thank you. Yeah, just talking about being off the beaten path and everything. I did study abroad in all different parts of Europe, but I got to do some city hopping around Italy. And the group that I was with, they like to do more of the mainstream stuff. But every city I was in, I loved to just walk around the city on my own and just kind of see the city for myself. And I found that by walking, I got to experience the city so much more than if I was taking a train or a bus across the town. Mm. Well, I think that's good That's advice. what I do. The minute I get to a city, I start walking. And I think getting up early in the morning is such a wonderful thing to do because you get to see the city come awake and to get that fresh cornetto just as the pastry shop opens. And walking is the best. I, I think also it's a way in a place like Venice that you can really get away from oh, yeah. the madding crowds because as soon as you get away from tourist hotspots like in Florence too, you're out in just everywhere in Venice lost, getting lost, finding <laughs> yourself again, getting lost again, mm-hmm. and it's lovely to I, discover a city like that. I know that exact feeling mm-hmm. in Venice because everyone else was taking a water taxi towards their hostel and they all had wheeling luggage in Venice of all places. And I had just my travel backpack and I said, see you guys later. I'm walking. I had a little uh, map that wasn't very detailed at the time, but I found myself lost near San Marco Plaza, and I had to stop and ask for directions and figured out that you know the address for each district, it was just a number and the name of the district. There were no street names. So I had to find that out on my own, and I wouldn't have experienced that and you know got to know the city if I was just taking a water taxi. Yeah. It's, yes. a, it's good advice, and uh, it's especially rewarding when you find yourself in what I call fiat-free Italy, anytime you're in a, in a traffic-free <laughs> town. I think, Francis, didn't you write about the beauty of traffic-freeness in Trentino? All over Italy, many towns are closing their historic centers to traffic, mm-hmm. and it's the best thing that's yeah. ever happened in Italy. You wake up in downtown Florence, and, and you hear the birds <laughs> now in downtown Florence instead of trucks coming and going. It's just a beautiful thing. It is. 
Mike, we're out of time. Thanks for your call. Happy travels. Thanks. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been exploring offbeat Italy with Frances Mays. And if anybody knows Italy, Frances does. Her new book is See You in the Piazza, New Places to Discover in Italy. You know, Frances, your book covers all of the places that are not household words here among travelers in the United States, from the Dolomites to the south of Sicily. And in the very end, you came home to Cortona, <laughs> your beautiful <laughs> adopted hometown in Tuscany. What is it about, just let's finish up this uh, discussion with just what is it about coming home to Cortona for you after spending months on the road researching your new book? I fell in love with Cortona many years ago when I just by chance rented a house outside the town. And by the end of that month, I knew that I wanted to somehow put down roots in Italy. And I traveled a lot after that, looked all around at other towns, but always kept coming back to Cortona. I think there's just something in your metabolism that responds to a particular place. And that is my place. You know, that's a real blessing to be able to go home to a place in Italy and still have your roots in the United States. That's a beautiful thing. I do. I wouldn't give up my time in the United States, yeah. but I've lived in uh, Cortona longer than I've lived anywhere. You're having your cake so, and eating it, too. <laughs> yes, best of both worlds. All right. Hey, Francis, thanks for joining us, and uh, congratulations on your new book. See you in the piazza. Thank you. And um, buon viaggio. Buon viaggio, Rick. Each year, Rick Steves Tour Guides take thousands of free-spirited travelers on escorted tours through Europe, one small group at a time. This year, you can choose from more than 40 different vacations in Europe's best destinations, from Ireland to Greece, and practically everywhere in between. Begin your next trip at ricksteves.com.